Welcome to the Cook Family Household. I'm Mackenzie, and I'm the oldest of the sisters. I'm Hannah, and I'm the middle child. And I'm Cammie, the baby of the family. Our parents taught us many life lessons. Oh, Hannah, remember when mom tried to teach you about logic? That was a bad day. Hannah, if you fall off that swing and break your neck, you can't go to the store with me. Well, what about you, Cammie? Remember when dad tried to teach you a little bit about humor? When the lawnmower cuts your toes off, don't come running to me. <laughs> oh, whatever, Kenzie. Mom was always trying to teach you about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. <laughs> and then when dad taught us about irony, Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. Or when mom taught us to think ahead. If you don't pass your spelling test, you'll never get a good job. Or when dad taught us about the circle of life. <laughs> I brought you in this world and I can take you out. Or when mom taught me about medical science. And I know a lot about medical science these days. <laughs> if you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. Okay, okay, even though there were tons of ups and downs in our childhood, they really did teach us a lot. My mom and dad are amazing role models. Through life, they have taught us how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to lean on God for everything. Mom and dad have been the best role model to me, um, especially being newly married. I'm able to take a lot from what I learned from their marriage and how they placed God at the center of it. It's important to me to have godly parents because throughout life, we're gonna have people trying to pull us in one direction or the other direction. And our parents have always taught us to go in the direction that Jesus wants us to follow. We wanna say thank you, mom and dad, for being here for us through every obstacle of life and every victory. You guys are the best parents ever. We love you guys. That video cost me a lot of money to get them to do that. I'll just say it for what it is, all right? That, that's what it's all about, right, parents? You want your kids to grow up and have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. You want to model that in front of your kids, and you're hoping at some point in time that they, they figure out that this is a real thing and that they would personalize it for themselves. There's that little time, you know, in their teenage years usually where it becomes not mom and dad's faith anymore, but it becomes their own faith. And parents, that's exactly what you're shooting for. And that's what this series has been all about. Are we there yet? Because we're asking four questions that every person needs a compelling answer to. Parents, you can't give something that your kids don't already have, so you have to have a compelling answer to these four questions. And your kids have to develop the compelling answer to these four questions but we can't just know the answers. We have to live according to the answers. And the first question that we ask to ourselves is, what is the center of our life? And there's lots of options, isn't there? You can make uh, money the center of your life. You can make a 
relationship the center of, of your life. But nothing will satisfy us except for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so last week, I encouraged you to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers over your kids. I said, stop praying the same prayers that you've prayed a thousand times before. If we don't take prayer seriously, what makes us think that our kids are going to take prayer seriously? So one of your homework assignments last week was to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers. And I hope that you did that. I hope every time that you gathered together for your nighttime prayer that you picked one child and you prayed over that child and you prayed over their future, you prayed over their hopes and their dreams, the things that they're stuck on, the things that they're struggling with. The hope is that that child would realize that there's a God in heaven who listens to our prayers and moves on our behalf as a result. Maybe you've never heard the name George McCluskey before. Uh, he was a guy, I don't believe there's ever been a biography written about him. But he made a decision years ago that he was going to pray for his two daughters. Now, he's prays for his two daughters for several months, and then he feels conviction of the Holy Spirit, not just to pray for his two daughters, but he also feels like God's asking him to pray for the next generation and the generation after that. Let me, let me kind of show you a chart, because this is going to get a little bit confusing. So he's going to pray from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. He's going to pray for his two daughters. He's going to pray for their children, and then he's going to pray for their children. And he did this for years. Well, two of his daughters, both of his daughters that he prayed for, both became Christians. And as it turned out, both of those daughters ended up marrying guys who were preachers. Isn't that interesting? Now, those two couples had four daughters and one son. Okay? So all four daughters, you ready for this? Married preachers, and the son became a pastor too. Now, out of that next generation, the first two kids born were both boys, and they were good friends of each other. In fact, they went to the same college together. They roomed together as well. The sophomore year of college, one of the gentlemen decided to be a pastor as well, but the other one became a radio talk show host. He was kind of the black sheep of the family. He said he wanted to pursue psychology, and so he went and he got himself a doctorate degree, and then he wrote one book that became a bestseller, and then another book that became a bestseller, and then later he became a syndicated talk show host where he has heard over thousands of different radio stations all over the country. Maybe you know who this guy is. It's James Dobson from Focus on the Family, the greatest pro-family voice the United States has ever had. Isn't that incredible? And it all started as the result of one man's prayers three generations before. Friends, we got to pray. We got to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers. We got to pray risk taking prayers. We've got to pray Red Sea parting kind of prayers. Now, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there's a Broadway show called Hamilton. Has anybody heard of the Broadway show Hamilton, just out of curiosity? I've not seen it, but a lot of my team that puts these worship services together with me has seen this Broadway show Hamilton. I'm told that it's streaming now on Disney+. Plus. I haven't seen it. They said the second half, uh, they're talking about uh, Hamilton is praying over his son and praying that his son would be able to accomplish even greater things than he was able to accomplish. Take a look at this. 
Theodosia, what to say to you? You have my eyes, you have your mother's name. When you came into the world, you cried, and it broke my heart. I'm dedicating every day to you. Domestic life was never quite my style when you smile. You knock me out, I fall apart. I thought I was so smart. You will come of age with our young nation. We'll bleed and fight for you. We'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you. We'll give the world to you and you'll blow us all away Someday, someday Yeah, you'll blow us all away Someday, someday Oh, Philip, when you smile I am a duck, my son at my son Pride is not the word I'm looking for There is so much more inside me now Ooh, Philip, you outshine the morning sun My son When you smile I fall apart And I thought I was so smart my father wasn't around My father wasn't around I swear that I'll be around for you I'll do whatever it takes I'll make a million mistakes I'll make the world safe and sound for you We'll come of age with our young nation We'll bleed and fight for you We'll make it right for you if we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you. We'll give the world to you and you'll blow us all away. Someday, someday, yeah, you'll blow us all away. So if the only thing we accomplished in this entire series is that we start praying big, hairy, audacious prayers for our kids, and I think the series was worth it. So if you didn't do it this past week, pick a child each night and pray a big, hairy, audacious prayer over your kids. The blessing that you can place upon them and the fact that there's a God in heaven who listens to every word that we say, it should matter to you, and I know that it would matter to your kids as well. So the first question that every person has to have a compelling answer to is what in the world is going to be the center of your life? Are you ready for question number two? And that is this, what is the character of your life going to be? Very important that we understand that we establish the character of our life. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, reputation is the shadow, character is the tree. 
Uh, Character is who we are when no one else is watching us. It's closely associated with the word integrity. And let me give you a definition for integrity. It means the quality of being complete. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means that somebody who hasn't compartmentalized their life. You ever met somebody who compartmentalizes their life? I I I used to live that kind of a life. You know, there was one way I, I, I lived at home. And there was another way that I lived out with my friends. And there's another way I lived at school. Another way that I lived at my job. In every different situation, every different way, I would be a different kind of a person. So I was never consistent along the way. I kind of said, this is my work life. This is my school life. This is my home life. This is my church life. So I would, I would go to school. And, and I was so messed up in, in the head with all this compartmentalizing stuff is that I would have moments where I would be inviting someone and say, man, you've got to come to church with me this next weekend. And then at school, I'd be walking down the hallway, and I would see a different kid who would tick me off, and I would cuss them up one side and down another. Oh, friends, I had the filthiest mouth. I was able to string a line of profanity unlike anything you've ever seen before. I could rip the very heart and soul out of another person. So some of you understand what I'm talking about. You're kind of shaking your head like, I get what you're saying. I used to live that kind of life. Or maybe you're currently living that kind of life. Now, others of you have got your arms folded and you're like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about right now, Todd, when it comes to this. But we all know that you know what I'm talking about right now, right? Let's, let's take a little test. Won't this be fun? We'll see if we've compartmentalized our life. I, aren't you glad you got here? Because this test is brutal. And here's what I want you to do. When we go through this test, I don't want you, I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't want to know, okay? Uh, what I want you to do is I want, this is just between you and the Lord. And if any of these things are true, if you're living one way over here and another way over here, that's between you and the Lord. And I want you to, to have some time with him and I want you to repent of that so that you don't keep living a divided life because a divided life isn't any kind of life at all. And I'm telling you from someone who knows, all right? Here's the first question. Again, do not raise your hand. I don't want to know. First question. Do you find yourself watching what you say at church but frequently using profanity at school or at work? Okay, that's just between you and the Lord. But do you kind of, you know, you don't let stuff slip here but someplace else you speak in a different manner. Is that, is that true of you? Then you're living a compartmentalized life. Let, let me give you another one. These are awful. I just, every one of these is awful. You ready? Do you find yourself looking up the next Bible verse on your phone, but later looking up the latest porn site from your favorite websites? And there's a lot of people doing that. Let me give you another one. Do you tell your kids to clean their room but you can't fit your car into your three-car garage. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Do you tell your kids to be honest, but then you turn around and you make up a lie so you can get out of an engagement that you don't want to go to? So you say, hey, you be honest. You tell the truth. Oh, uh, no. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel well right now, so I can't come. But You ever, you ever do that kind of stuff? How about this one? Do you tell your kids to stay away from drugs and alcohol, but your refrigerator is stocked with beer? How about this one? Do you tell your kids to put others first, but then they notice that you spend everything on yourself and never give a dime to the ministries of the church? It got really quiet in the room. Let me give you the next one. 
Do you tell your kids to love everyone because every person matters to God? But five minutes later, they hear from your mouth words of hate because the sin of prejudice still lives inside of you. Are you living a compartmentalized life? Do do you live one way over here and then another way over here and then still another way over here? And, And then you think... Well, that's not going to affect our kids. We, we come in this place and we sing our praise songs to the Lord and we get out in the parking lot and we use God's name in vain. We use it as a curse word. Do we honestly think that that kind of behavior isn't going to affect our kids along the way? This idea of not living this compartmentalized life, it's about consistency. And here, here's what's interesting. If consistency isn't important to you, it won't be important to your kids. They'll start living a double life as well. I read a story this past week about a preacher, and uh, he found this stray dog. And the stray dog was awesome. It was all black, and it had a, a tail, and on the tail were three little white hairs. And the dog would do tricks, and the, and the dog was everything you'd ever want in a dog. And he just couldn't believe that he had found this dog. And his two boys were so excited to have the dog. Well, it turns out about three days after them having the dog, there were posters around town that uh, had the, the same description as this dog, even down to the tail and the three little white hairs. Well, the preacher didn't want to give up the dog. So he called his boys in and said, you, you don't want to give up the dog, do you? And they said, well, no, we don't want to lose the dog. He said, I want you to hold the dog. We're going to do something. So the boys held the dog, and the dad you know, pulled the three hairs out of the dog's tail. So it had no more white hair on the dog's tail. Well, word got out that the preacher had found a dog that was similar to the one that this other guy had, had lost. And so the man came to the house to see if the, they'd found the dog, his dog. And so when he got knocked on the door, the dog was there, and the dog obviously recognized his true master. He was very excited, and it was obvious to everyone around that this guy owned the dog, that this was his dog. But the preacher stopped him, and he said, whoa, 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 wait hey, just a second here. Didn't you say your dog had three white hairs on its tail? And the owner said, that's right. So let me see its tail. Couldn't find the three white hairs. And the owner went away sad because it wasn't his dog. This is what the preacher wrote. You ready? He said, I kept the dog, but I lost my boys. He said, from that day forward, it didn't matter what kind of messages that I gave, what kind of sermons that I preached. They knew who I really was. Those two boys, uh, they grew up. Their names were Frank and Jesse James. And it all started because of the inconsistency of a dad who didn't understand the power of character. Friends, what kind of character are we trying to develop? And what kind of character are we trying to pass on to our kids? Well, the Bible gives us a great passage of Scripture of the kind of character that we're supposed to strive for, that we're supposed to go after. And the passage is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is what it says, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Okay, we're going to hit these five things real quickly. The first thing it says is your character should be about how you talk, your speech. 
Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says, God says there's seven things that he can't stand, can't tolerate, seven things that he hates. This is what he says. He says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Of the seven things that God says, I can't stand these things, I hate these things, two of them have to do with lying. Here's the question. Why does God hate it when we lie so much? When we exaggerate the story, when we exaggerate the truth, why is that so offensive to God? Why is it when we make a promise and we say one thing and we do another that God is offended with that? Why is it that God wants us to be people who are people of integrity, people who keep our word? It's simply because of this. When you lie, you align yourself with Satan himself. Look at what Jesus said here, John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan's a liar. So when we lie to look good, when we lie to exaggerate, when we break our promises, we break our word, we're acting just like Satan. Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't appreciate that. And this is so important to us as parents that we make certain that our children's speech and our speech is what we say it's going to be, that we follow through on the things that we say that we're going to do. There was a dad, and uh, he said to his son, he said, son, I want you to take me to work, and then I want you to take the car to the shop and wait a couple hours for the car to get fixed, and then here's some money. You can go to a movie afterwards. And so the son said, that sounds like a plan, dad. So the son got up early, and he drove his dad to work, dropped him off, went immediately to the car dealership, and, and act, sure enough, after a couple of hours, the car was done, and he went to the movie theater. But here was the dilemma for the kid. Uh, the movie on that particular day had a double feature for the same price as one movie. And he thought, you know what? The second movie doesn't get out until 6 o'clock. I'm supposed to pick up my dad at 5 o'clock, but he won't mind waiting around for an hour. So he decides to go ahead and watch the double feature. So he shows up around 6 o'clock. His dad's been waiting the whole time. Picks up his dad. The kid's driving now down the road. It's an 18-mile trek back to the house. They're about mile number 8 when the dad breaks the silence and said, Hey, hey son, I'm, I'm just curious. What, what took you so long to pick me up? You were supposed to be here at 5 o'clock. And the boy lied. He said, the car took longer than we thought it was going to take, Dad. So I had to wait around at the shop longer to get the car. And the dad said, stop the car right now. And the son pulled the car over and said, Dad, I, I, I don't understand. He, he said, son, while I was waiting for you to show up, I called the, the car dealer. And they told me you had picked the car up several hours ago. I can't ride in the car with a son who's a liar. And with that, he got out of the car and he began to walk home. He walked 10 miles. It took him almost four hours. The young man didn't feel right to leave his dad out in the darkness all by himself. So he drove behind his dad's vehicle with the lights on to shield him from anything that might come against him. And he said, watching his dad walk all the way home for four hours left an indelible mark upon his mind that he would never, no, never lie to his dad ever again. When you speak, 
when your kids listen to what you have to say, are you a person of truth? Are you a person of integrity? Do you lie? Do you exaggerate? Do you break your promises? And if you don't take this seriously, how in the world will your child one day take this seriously? So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to set an example in speech. And then it says this, we're supposed to set an example in life. A little boy really loved his grandfather. And he had been going for a brief amount of time to Sunday school at church. And he went to his grandfather one day and he said, Grandpa, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And the grandpa looked back at his grandson, who was six, seven years old at the time. He said, just watch. Well, the little guy didn't fully understand or grasp what in the world that meant. Of course, the little guy grows up. Years go by. He's a teenager now and he's rebellious. And, of course, he's got no oxygen going up to his brain. That's what happens during those teenage years. And, you know, he's just struggling a little bit. And he's just kind of rebelling and doing his own thing. Well, his grandfather gets cancer. And the chemotherapy doesn't work, the radiation doesn't work, and Grandpa's going home to be with Jesus. And the grandson walks into the grandfather's bedroom for what he knows will be the last time that he'll have a conversation with his grandpa. And he sits there holding the hand of his grandfather. The grandfather knows exactly what the grandson's been involved in, what the grandson's been doing. And he leans over in his bed, pulls the grandson closer, and he says, did you watch? It was then that the grandson remembered what the grandfather had said so many years ago. The grandfather was saying, do you want to know what it is to follow Jesus? Well, you follow me as I follow Christ. And then you'll know what it is to be a Christian. Now, here's the question I have for you and for me. Would we be bold enough to say that to somebody else? If someone came up to us and says, what does it mean to follow after Jesus? Would we be bold enough to say, watch me. Watch how I live my life. Watch how I treat other people. Watch what I do. As I imitate Jesus, you imitate me. Are we living a life that's worth imitating? There was a book that came out years ago, um, and in the book it had a little phrase, and, and since this phrase has come out and became you know, part of pop culture, people kind of laugh about the phrase and think it's kind of a joke. There were wristbands with the phrase on it, and people would ask it, and they would joke about it. But the phrase goes something like this, what would Jesus do? And we kind of, oh, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Sometimes we'll use it to slam somebody else, right? You know, well, my, my wife has done that to me. What would Jesus do? But what would Jesus do? We're supposed to set an example for the believers in speech and then in life. So how do you live your life for Jesus? How do you imitate him? Well, the only way I know to do that is to ask myself some questions. And the best question I can ask myself is, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? And then if I can figure out what Jesus would do in that situation, then I do it, then I'm probably not going to get myself in a whole lot of trouble. What would Jesus do when he saw someone who was hurting? What would Jesus do when he saw someone who had a need? Would he ignore the need and look for somebody else to fulfill a need? Or would he, be the, would he do what needs to be done? What would Jesus do when someone pulls in front of you in traffic? How would Jesus respond to that? What would Jesus do? 
what, what would Jesus do in each and every situation of life? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to emulate him. And how in the world can we emulate him if we're not thinking about what it is that he had us to do? So we set an example for the believers in speech. That's hard enough, isn't it? Then it says in life. And then it says in love. As a follower of Jesus Christ, our lives are to be marked by love. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. So the next question we ask ourselves is, how loving are we? Are we the cynical person, the skeptical person, the, the mean person? Are we the ones that bring life when we come into a room? Are we the ones that bring death? We're supposed to love. We're supposed to be students of love where we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then we love our neighbors as ourselves. That we put the needs of other people ahead of ourselves. That we love with an in spite of kind of love. The same kind of love that God loved us with. God loves us with an in spite of kind of love. In spite of our inconsistencies. In spite of our failures. In spite of our broken promises. In spite of all the mistakes that we've made. He just keeps on loving us. And don't you want to develop that in your own life? And don't you want your kids to be marked by love? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Our, our job as parents is to love our kids with an irrational kind of a love. An in spite of kind of love. The same love that God has loved us with, we're supposed to love our children with this. So in spite of the times they roll their eyes at us, in spite of the times that they breathe heavy breaths because they need oxygen, you know, in spite of all the times that, that they say one thing and they do another, in spite of all the times that they've broken your heart again and again and again, that our response would always be love. That we would never give up on them. We would never throw in the towel. That we would believe that God still has a great plan for their life and that we would love them. In the same way that Jesus has loved us. Set an example. In speech, in life, in love, and in faith. This is what the Bible says about faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6. It's impossible, it says, to please God without faith. Parents, you've got to model to your kids what real faith is. Real faith isn't you're going to follow Jesus as long as everything goes your way and he answers all your prayers the way he wants you to answer them. That's fake faith. Real faith is even if he doesn't answer a single prayer the way I want him to, even if all hell breaks loose around me, I will hold on to the one who will never let go of me. I will be faithful to him no matter what. I will trust in him to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything I've ever dreamed or imagined. And if he decides to take me down a pathway, a road that's hard and difficult, I will still hold on to him. I will never let go of him. I will have a resilient faith. The faith that Daniel had when he was thrown into a lion's den. The faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Do you remember that phrase they gave? Nebuchadnezzar says, what God will be able to save you? And they said, listen, our God is able. Our God is able to save, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not bow down to your image of gold. We will never. Turn our backs on him. 
We will go through the fire if we have to. Because we know we don't go through the fire alone. That's the kind of faith our kids need to see. That even when the cancer continues to spread, even when the phone call of bad news comes, even when you lose your job, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to hold on to him no matter what. We set an example. In speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Here's the definition of purity. It's the unconquerable allegiance to the standards of Christ. What does that mean? It means that we should live differently than everybody else. That we have a different calling. We have someone that we are living our life for. That the standard is higher and it's greater. And that we're living our life for an audience of one. Simply to one day hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now parents, listen. You you cannot pass this stuff on. You cannot pass this stuff on if you don't have it yourself. So you have to evaluate yourself. Where you're at in speech, in life, in love, in faith. And impurity, because as mom and dad goes, so goes the kiddo. There was a preacher, and he was preaching one Sunday morning, and uh, he was talking about parenting. And he was really on a roll, and he had an epiphany, a moment in his message where he said this. He said, it doesn't matter what you say to your children, they'll grow up to be just like you. Now, that's true to a certain degree, right? But it doesn't matter what you say to them. They're going to grow up just like you. And then, and then the preacher had this moment where he's like, oh, gosh, that kind of scares me. And he looked out at his congregation. He says, I'll be honest with you. I'll be the first one to tell you. This kind of scares me. Now, listening out in the, in the audience was, was, the, was the, the, the pastor's wife and six-year-old son. And so he's looking out at the sea of people. And he says, listen, it doesn't matter what you say. Your kid's going to turn out just like you. And he says, that scares me. Does this scare anybody else? And he kind of looked for a raise of the hands. And nobody raised their hand except one person, his six-year-old son. (laughs) As you go, so they go. You take this stuff seriously, there's a greater chance that Maybe they'll take it seriously, but you blow it off. You act like it's a joke. You make it just a one-hour weekend kind of a deal. Jesus is nothing more than a genie, and you only come to him when you need something from him. What makes you think that your kids are ever going to develop beyond you? Or you can model for them what it is to have character in Christ. You can model for them what it is to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, I know what some of you parents are thinking right now. Some of you people are thinking right now. You say, Todd, these things are hard. These are difficult. I can't pull these off. Neither can I. But it's something we should be shooting for each and every day. Let me tell you the truth, parents. You ready for this? Your kids don't expect you to be perfect. And so when you blow it, In one of these areas, and you will, you'll say something you shouldn't say. You'll treat someone in a way you shouldn't treat them. You'll lie. You'll exaggerate. Something won't go the way that you hoped that it would. You're going to blow it. You're a sinner. Rather than acting like it's not that big of a deal, here's what I want you to do. You ready? Because this is super simple. I want you to confess it to God, and I want you to confess it to your kids. And they'll be okay with that. You see, they'll understand that. What they don't understand is when we as parents say one thing 
and we live our lives doing something else. That is what our kids find to be absolutely unbelievable. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends and I pray for myself. God, I pray for your help, for your grace. Lord, we cannot live up to these things. I wish we could. I wish we could be perfect with every word that proceeds from our mouth. I wish that we would think about what you would have us to do before we did anything rather than launching out in our own direction. I wish we loved the way that you love us. We have such short tempers. We wash our hands of other people so quickly. We hold grudges. Lord, I pray that we would have faith in you. Faith that could move mountains. Faith that holds on even when everything's falling apart. Lord, I pray that we would be different. That we would live for you. Lord, we can't pull this off. And we understand what's at stake. So we pray for your grace. For your forgiveness. And Lord, for the areas that we've blown it. For the areas where we've compartmentalized our life. I pray, Lord, that we would draw a line in the sand today and say, no more. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to live these things out the best I can. And I'm going to be honest with you and honest with others when I blow it. And Lord, I pray right now for every parent who has a child represented. I pray, Lord, that they would catch from their mom and dad a real faith. That they would see a mom and a dad who are desperately in love with you. And they would want the faith that their parents have. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.